Welcome to Real World Talk, a podcast that brings together healthcare leaders to discuss the importance of real world data in accelerating drug development and improving cancer care. Real World Talk is brought to you by CODA, a company that combines oncology expertise with advanced technology and analytics to create clarity from fragmented and often inaccessible real-world data. Welcome to this week's edition of Real World Talk with CODA. I'm your host, Emily DiCapua. Today, we're honored to speak with Dr. William Kantz, Chief Medical and Scientific Officer of the American Cancer Society, one of the oldest and largest voluntary health agencies in the United States. Dr. Kantz, thank you for joining CODA this morning. Before we dive in, could you take a moment to share a bit about your background, the ACS, and your role there? Sure. I am a surgical oncologist. I have been in practice for about 30 years. I have had an active research laboratory, translational laboratory, looking at ways we can understand cancer and target certain signaling molecules that drive cancers. I've been at the American Cancer Society for just about a year and three or four months. The American Cancer Society, our mission is to save lives, celebrate lives, and lead the fight for a world without cancer. So we have a broad-based mission focused on innovation, equity, in cancer care. And we're also the largest private nonprofit funder of cancer research in the United States. Can you explain really quickly, this word comes up a lot in our podcast, what translational research means? Sure. Translational research is research that can be applied to patients, that has a, more of a direct application to patients, hopefully sooner rather than later. So in my role as a practicing surgical oncologist, I'm close to patients, I'm in the operating room dealing with tumors at all times. So that allows me to study tumors directly, look at what various factors, proteins and so forth drive the tumors. And then in our group, we have worked on ways to target and effectively drug some of those proteins that drive cancers. Translational is a direct application to the patients. Thank you so much for that. As we dive in, could you share with our listeners the American Cancer Society's 2035 challenge goals and the research that went into setting those goals? Sure. So the American Cancer Society is laser focused on our 2035 mission goal, which is a 40% reduction in cancer mortality over a 20-year period from 2015 to 2035. So that takes all of our efforts in what we do in cancer surveillance from our policy aspects, through our advocacy network, through our research, through our implementation in all 50 states, how can we best drive down that mortality? What are the most impactful ways and the most immediate ways of doing that? So we're very focused on those goals in, in everything we do. Wonderful. One of the things that struck me about the, the goals of driving down the cancer mortality rate was this issue of equity and health equity and how 
rates of cancer mortality for certain populations in the U.S. are higher than other populations of similar ages, but perhaps populations that are more educated, have more access to resources. Can you highlight some of the greatest concerns when it comes to health equity in cancer care and what the ACS is doing to address those issues? Sure. That's a great point, Emily. The inequity, the difference in cancer care that is received in disparate populations is a big concern to the American Cancer Society. In fact, it's become an even greater concern as we've moved through the pandemic because we see the disparities in cancer care widening. If you go back over 50 years, Martin Luther King reminded us you know, of all the forms of inequality, injustice in healthcare is the most shocking and the most inhumane. So that's from 1966. And sadly, we haven't conquered that. We still see every day disparities in, in how patients can receive all aspects of cancer care. And, and the concern is that, that there's a domino effect. It, it's in all areas. It starts with access mm-hmm. to screening. It, it, and it starts, it, it has issues uh, r- related to biology. It has issues related to best treatment financial issues. It's a whole myriad of of issues. But of the concerns that we have, Mm -hmm. uh, the widening socioeconomic status is uh, one of the the big ones, probably the biggest. And as I mentioned, it's getting worse with COVID. Secondly, structural racism. You know, this has been ongoing. And we're more recently seeing that some of the evidence uh, of that, even though realizing it has been going on for hundreds of years, that very definitely leads to inequity in can- cancer care. And finally, the global area is access. How does everybody have access to the best treatment? And that, so those are the biggest areas of concern. So what is the ACS doing about it? So in our field or around the country, we have hope lodges where people can stay that during their cancer treatment if they live far away. We offer lodging there, and we offer rides to the treatment. Now, we have had to temporarily shut those down due to COVID, but we're gearing back up now as we hope to see the pandemic starting to indicate it's getting in the exit lane. But we have a lot of programs, a large focus on screening. How do we get more broad screening? We really work with convening large groups, such as our roundtables, colorectal roundtable, lung cancer roundtable, and come up with best practices for addressing equity. And so we convene, we use what we call echoes, which are video conferencing to teach people things to do. So it's a broad diversity of programs. And from our research, we're evolving toward a big focus on early detection. And some of the newer technologies that are coming online are going to really advance our ability to detect cancers early through blood-based screenings. And these are early days with that, but given our efforts in screening, publishing screening guidelines, I believe we have an opportunity with early detection to pull time forward, especially in those populations that are underserved. And that's very exciting as we, for us as we move forward and the, the newer technologies come online. 
a little segue here. In preparation for this recording, I was on the ACS website and I saw many videos and testimonials. And I would encourage anyone who is listening to this to check out the ACS website. There's a a great video, an introduction to the Hope Lodges and other services that the ACS runs. And I just encourage anyone to, to check them out. They're all up there on the website. One area that I would like to explore in terms of getting folks the right access to care is the role of the patient navigator. This is something that I've had some experience with working through oncology medical homes, but I'd like to hear from you the role of patient navigators in terms of eliminating health disparities. That's a great question about navigators. As I learn the American Cancer Society and learn of the needs and disparate populations, underserved populations. A common thread is the need for navigation. So whether you're in underserved African-American community, whether you're a tribal nation, whether you're an underserved Hispanic community and so forth, navigation is very critical. The, the question is how do we best implement navigation broadly and particularly in those populations. So the ACS actually leads the navigation roundtable where we bring in thought leaders of how to navigate patients from around the country. And we want to to really focus on these underserved populations and come up with best practices. We, We also have to advocate for funding of those navigators, and that's another critical area. But over and over again, I hear how important it is to have navigators And it's also very important to have trusted messengers in those communities. When you get to the injustices that have been present going back hundreds of years, the trust issue is critical and we have a ways to go. So trying to find out how to navigate and also get that trusted messenger into those communities is critical. Absolutely. So you bring up an interesting point regarding the funding. And this is something that I'm personally quite interested in. How does the ACS as this nationwide entity encourage or incentivize hospital systems perhaps to implement a patient navigator program? So the ACS used to sponsor navigators in a lot of the health systems. And we have had to cut back on that program as we've worked through the pandemic with the funding challenges. But we thought that we needed a different approach to that, such as how do we really focus on those disparate areas? So what we're doing is kind of looking at the the navigation and how we execute that from a new viewpoint, just sort of starting from now, we're hopefully getting through COVID. How do we make this happen in health systems where we have underserved? One of the areas that we focus on a lot of groups of health systems are the federally qualified health centers, the FQHCs. So that's another area where we take a deep dive into equity. So we have those programs. We have funds for those programs. For example, the NFL contributes grants that we administer in those areas. And that allows us to really take a deeper dive to figure out what is working, what is not. 
And the issue of navigation is critical there. With COVID, unfortunately for FQHCs, the, the numbers, the numerator and the denominator were going the wrong way. So screens were down and the patients that who, who needed FQHCs who had economic hardships were up. So those are some of the areas where we have a real direct focus on equity. You teed up my next question quite perfectly. With cancer screenings down because of COVID, how do we get them back on track? What's the ACS's plans for getting screenings back? So the ACS has just launched an initiative called Return to Screening, R2S, but Return to Screening, which is our top priority for our patient delivery services for 2021. So we're putting together uh, a, a multi, multifaceted program that looks uh, across the spectrum of how we get people back to screening. So if you take one step back with the screens, we know that they're down. We know we have about 12 million people have lost their health insurance. There's oh, about 22 million missed screens. So we know there's tens of thousands of people walking around right now with undiagnosed cancer. So we have to find those and we have to address them. The other part of the screening issue is we've seen rebounds in a number of systems where where they're coming back with screening, but it's not quite at the level of 2019. And so getting the screens done right now with the extra effort involved with social distancing and so forth is very difficult. One of the uh, American College of Surgeons leaders has said, it takes 120% now to get what was 100% back then. But our screens haven't come above 2019 to pick up the people we missed. So that's a big concern. So we're working with health systems. There needs to be a lot of work with health systems, reassuring patients, flexing schedules, increasing the hopefully the availability. There needs to be a big push for equity. And so we're going to have to look at that from multiple levels, from policy levels to our ACS CAN advocacy. How do patients who have lost their job, how do we get them to be screened where it's not a choice of, well, should I pay my rent or get my colonoscopy? Or, wow, I'm having these symptoms, but, you know. So there's a lot of areas that we need to work on from policies, from payers, the the government, this health systems. And we also need to prioritize So who should be screened first? And certainly people with symptoms, people with family histories, particularly mother, father, brother, sister, those people should really go to the head of the line. It worries me when we've missed so many screens that we don't have the policy, that the ability to track those patients, the policies of who's going to get in line first. We haven't thought through that. So I think with any crisis like COVID, you always come out on the other end different. And the challenge is to come out better than you were before. So our goal with this return to screening is to be better at screening than we have been, better advocates as at the American Cancer Society, be more effective, even more effective. Two, deeper into the inequity, address those inequities, which we know are getting worse. And three, innovation. How can we innovate? What are best practices across the country now? And then innovation with the evolving changes in how we can detect cancers that I I described. 
Absolutely. I have two reactions. First, for everybody listening, R2S, return to screening. And secondly, you know, the story regarding the challenges that COVID has put to the healthcare system. It reminds me of a quote, I think, from a former White House chief of staff, which was, never let a crisis go to waste. We have this crisis, but what can we learn from it? How can we improve coming out of, hopefully soon coming out of COVID-19? Exactly. That's a very appropriate quote. We're all in this crisis and we're all challenged to come out different and better. And better. Absolutely. You mentioned innovation and, you know, innovation in practices and innovation in administrating. What about innovations in technology? What are some of the most promising technology innovations that you see in oncology right now? So of the innovations, I believe this ability to detect cancer early the ability to find the signals that tumors send out into the blood, whatever they are, find those signals early. That's a very quickly evolving space. There are a number of different approaches to that, to blood-based, blood-based screening. I believe that the new therapeutics coming on, we're seeing a lot of new cancer therapeutics and the precision medicine is coming along with that. So, Hopefully, we can get more targeting, fewer side effects, greater efficacy. So I think that those are critical areas in treatment. We've seen improvements in how we do radiation, you know, the stereotactic body radiation therapy, a much more focused way of directly attacking the cancer in three-dimensional, in three dimensions. We've seen advances in surgery minimally invasive surgery that have shorter recovery times, less morbidity. In fact, if you put together those advances in chemotherapy treatments and radiation and surgery, that alone has pushed lung cancer mortality down significantly. And finally, immunotherapy. We're in the early days of understanding how tumors can evade the immune system. And it's been a question for years and years. We know that there is an immune response against tumors in some cases. Understanding how that happens and then targeting it, targeting it. We have really promising data from a number of drugs that have, have changed how we treat certain cancers. And no doubt there will be a lot more of those as, as time moves on. There's also a lot of technological innovations in the digital space. The ACS is moving toward a digital first approach to try to reach more people with the caveat that we have to pay very close attention to the disparate populations who may not have that level of capacity in the digital space. Even the digital divide is there. I mean, in the, as you watch the NFL, you saw a lot of commercials about the digital divide. So we have to pay very close attention to that. But there are a lot of technologies, applications that can link patients to their providers, to their care, such as ways of obtaining patient-reported outcomes. We can pick up a problem that a patient's developing early, before they're in the emergency room in extremis. We will save more lives because we can intervene at an earlier date. So how we can work on that communication for everyone is, is an important point. 
Oh my gosh, so many reactions. First, you mentioned the therapeutics coming online in a record volumes. I did a little back of the envelope calculation that 47 drugs with indications related to oncology have been approved in the last three years, Mm -hmm. which is record breaking. And then you mentioned precision medicine and being at CODA, working on real world data. I'm interested in what role you think real world data specifically plays in improving cancer care. And perhaps it's related to patients being more in control of their own health data. That could be one aspect of it, but I'm interested to hear your thoughts on real world data and cancer care. Real world data is very critical. And I think we're seeing the need for real world data more acutely with COVID. A lot of the cancer-specific data is for incidents and outcomes is about two to three years old when it gets into the various databases. So there are a lot of efforts to try to make that more real-time. And we really need that for, for multiple reasons. As we were talking about the screening, we're going to need to get data on how are we doing? Where are the hot spots? Where do we need to do better? And we have to get that now, not down the road. We also have to be very careful that we have the right data. In COVID, we've seen some cases where some of the data sources were not as good as others. And so I think that is a foundation of the American Cancer Society is really from our surveillance teams, our health policy teams, to really make sure that's accurate, great data. So screening is one area where we certainly need the real world data. With precision medicine, we're going to need to be able to quickly measure an individual's tumor and be able to tailor their approach for treatment. We're starting to do that a lot more, but I believe we will do that even more in the future. So we're going to have to find ways of taking that a lot of data, crunching it, and then figuring out which treatment regimen is best. And there are a lot of clinical trials with those 47 drugs. They're all clinical trials there. Which clinical trial should that patient go on? We have a lot of results, or has that become a standard regimen? So a lot of real-world data goes into the drug development and the trials, and will be even more important. And again, we want to get that in real time. If we could just get data in real time, and that's a challenge, there will need to be creative approaches to getting data, sharing data, being able to get your electronic health record data quickly and in a way that can be transmitted to other areas is so important. Absolutely. Without having to make 10,000 phone calls and be on hold. And in your printed reports and then exactly. And wait for faxes. Oh, yes. Can't forget the facts. (laughs) For all the kids listening out there, you heard it from Dr. Kantz, there's going to be a lot of need for data scientists. So study data science. (laughs) Absolutely. And we need, as a society, we need to share this. And I think COVID has been terrible. But if you look at some silver linings, we're seeing more sharing. We're, We're seeing a greater willingness and real meaningful collaborations we need to really be, be open with data and, and our approaches so everybody can learn because we only care about one thing, right? We only care about that, but preventing 
detecting early and curing cancer. That's just about the cancer. That's our only competitor, nothing else. Right. Absolutely. And it's a pretty good motivator. It is. It's a fierce competitor and it didn't give up during, it didn't go away during COVID. No, it definitely didn't. So we have to double down on our efforts now even more as we move through and beyond the pandemic. I love it. Very hopeful. Dr. Kantz, I'm going to ask two more questions. One is going to be pretty micro-focused, and then we're going to take it back out for a 64,000-foot view. So my first micro-focused question is, at the beginning of our discussion, you mentioned being in the operating room and working on research and being in the lab. Do you miss that? working now as the chief medical officer for a, a huge organization. Do you miss that patient direct work? Yes, I do. And I'm actually hoping to be able to be an adjunct professor at Morehouse School of Medicine and to do some operating at Grady Hospital, a safety net hospital. I was joking with the surgical chair at Grady, Dr. Ed Childs, and Say, I'm starting to have these nightmares where you wake up and you've done the wrong operation. Or you, like I said, why did I do that? I'm apologizing to the family. And then I wake up, I'm like, oh, that was a dream. So it's time to get some clinical work back on the plate. Oh my gosh. They will be lucky to have you at Morehouse and Grady. Well, thanks. And it it does keep you centered. You know, it really keeps you focused on the patient. That's always been, it's been so great to see the patients. It just brings everything home. I can imagine. And then we'll take it back out. We started this conversation talking about the ACS's 2035 challenge goals about 15 years away, but let's double that and talk about what you think cancer care could look like in 2050, 30 years from now. Yes, I think that cancer will be markedly different by 2050 in the sense that we will understand a lot more at the molecular level, we'll understand a lot more about how to recognize it, how to know that someone is at risk, and how to treat it. So I believe that this combination, what we call multi-omic studies, genomics, proteomics, metabolomics, even studying the bacteria that live inside of you, your microbiome, all those data will come together, I believe, to find much more effective treatments of cancer. But I doubt whether there will be a cure for cancer. And in fact, I believe that we can effectively cure cancers, but a global cure, the magic bullet, this is going to end it. I don't believe it will be like that, but I believe cancer will turn into more of a chronic manageable disease. Something like diabetes. You, You can measure and treat it. So the cancers themselves, say they're fierce competitors, they change so quickly. They evolve so quickly. We showed in our lab that some of these enzymes that drive cancer cells, if you block one enzyme within 15 minutes, the cancer cell is reprogramming kind of like a GPS, kind of how to get you back on the metastatic highway within 15 minutes. So there's tremendous capacity. So we're going to have to keep watching patients with cancer, treating them effectively, but also keeping a close eye out for recurrence. And I believe we will be able to control cancer so much better 
that it will be a very chronic manageable disease as we move, move forward. And, it, and I'm hopeful we'll see a lot of that progress well before 2050 for the reasons we discussed, that this speed of discovery is tremendous. We have our data challenges we discussed. We need to really make sure, again, sharing data, learning from these studies. So I believe that, that it will be very different by 2050. Thank you so much. Thank you to the American Cancer Society for all of the work that is going into making sure that your 2050 vision will come to fruition. Well, thank you, Emily. We're privileged to be able to lead this fight for a world without cancer. And we look forward to the ongoing innovation and the implementation of equity for everyone. Yes. So important. Dr. Kantz, I can't thank you enough. This was illuminating, hopefully will be of help and interest to our listeners. And I will certainly be following the return to screening effort and your efforts on improving health equity. I think that's been shown to be kind of almost a scar in our nation's healthcare system. So I will be following the ACS and their efforts there. And it was a pleasure to start my Friday morning with you. Well, thank you. My pleasure as well. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Real World Talk. For more episodes and to understand how we can all bring clarity to cancer care using real world data, please visit us at CodaHealthcare.com. We look forward to having you next time on Real World Talk.